Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference 2012 podcast. This podcast series features recordings of papers from the conference, which took place in University College Dublin on the 31st of August and 1st of September 2012. The conference was generously supported by UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research and the Society for Renaissance Studies. For more information, go to TudorStuartIreland.com. In this episode, a paper by Paul Rondeles of University College Cork. His paper was entitled Native Iron Mining and Smelting in Ireland, circa 1560 to 1640. Uh, today I would like to talk about uh, some information I found uh, relating to uh, native iron mining and smelting in Ireland um, between in the period from 1560 to 1590. Um, I'll be talking about contemporary and recent views of the topic, then uh, an overview of uh, the early um, iron mining and smelting technology as it would have been um, in uh, the broader landscape of Europe. Then I will look at a few sources that I came across that would give insight into what was going on in Ireland at that time. I will also give a few examples of what was going on related to non-ferrous metallurgy and then I will uh, finish with the conclusions. Um, the first, is that, is that clear enough? Can people read that? Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay, so um, the, um, the contemporary sources, so Gerard Bolt, uh, Ireland's Natural History, what he's basically saying is that uh, the old English were too much engaged in warfare and the Irish were too uncivilized to even consider mining and complicated metallurgy. Richard Boyle, the Earl of Cork, who had uh, ironworks in numerous places, um, the same um, way of thinking. He's talking about, he's writing in 1619 and talking about when he got involved in the ironworking in 1606 and uh, claims that it was not known or taught that there were any iron mines in Ireland at all at that time. Sir Thomas Philip, Sir Thomas Phillips, excuse me, um, um, surveyor for the Corporation of London for a starting plantation in County Derry. Um, also abundant iron ore in the area and the natives smelting iron but only for their necessary uses and they don't uh, make do that for profits or to enrich themselves like other people would do. Then um, a few of the modern uh, sources, how we see it today. So uh, people that would have looked at the trade in iron have come across various sources listing large imports and have seen that either as the cause or the result of a lack of iron mining in Ireland at that period. Um, historians, more general historians and archaeologists, are more or less the same view, but do accept that there was local iron smelting going on um, by the local Irish, or on a very small scale, using very um, primitive furnaces, if you want. So, uh, more or less a consensus, so large amounts of iron um, coming in, and very uh, low-level uh, iron mining going on at that time. Um, I will just um, give uh, a broad overview of the technology involved in iron smelting at that period and before. So there's basically two ways that you can extract iron out of the ore. There's the bloomery furnace where what happens is all the material that is not iron in the ore is liquefied and will leave the furnace at slag and you are left with an iron bloom in the furnace. So the iron itself never leaves its solid state. The, the iron always stays solid. Then the other process happens in the blast furnace. So in the blast furnace everything is liquefied, 
the slag, liquid slag is removed and then when the batch is ready, the liquid iron is tapped off and um, it is poured either into a shape or into something else and it is known as cast iron. So two completely different processes. The blast furnace is always water powered. Um, so here you see examples, so on the left a bloomery furnace reconstructed um, and the hole at the base that you see there is where the waste will come out, where the slag will come out and then here um, a blast furnace, they were slightly smaller in the beginning but uh, very different constructions, what you see here the orange bit coming out is actually the, the liquid iron being uh, cast. Um, so. The, so, like I said, the blast furnace, you can't see it on the picture, but the blast furnace is always water-powered. But what happens in late medieval periods is our water is also applied to the bloomery furnace. So the process where the iron stays solid. On the left here, what you see is a shaft furnace, a bloom of iron, and then what you see here is the slag being tapped out and very clearly um, worked by water power. But it's not just a shaft furnace, there's a new type of furnace that arrives as well, the open heart furnace, which is nicely illustrated here in the famous work by Agricola de Rimetallica, 16th century, and again here we see the slag coming out, and then this is where the bloom is made. This process uh, was used throughout Europe at least till the 19th century, and the last one in the United States actually closed in 1907. Um, the non-water-powered bloomeries evolved as well, so they became more substantial, bigger internal diameter, bigger walls, and also um, bigger products. The, they are known to have been used in Wales and beyond that, but in Wales we know that uh, by the 16th century um, that um, the blooms were uh, weighing up to 50 kilos, so uh, very, uh, like the, the, the furnace that you saw before, the experimental one would have produced something about 10 kilograms. The thing is that we do not know what these late um, bloomeries that made those large products looked like at all. And then just shortly, once the iron is finished, it'll have to be uh, made into objects and further processed, and that will be the work of the smith. There's two basic types of smithing installations, um, ground level, um, about uh, a meter diameter, and uh, this is an excavated example from Ireland, and note the late date of this one. And then on the right, the forge or the smithy that we are more um, familiar with is the waste level forge. So like the, the word says it itself, the smith is um, working at uh, waste level height. A short overview of uh, early mining and metal uh, iron working in Ireland. So from prehistory till the 13th century, shaft furnaces. It's a bit of a special type, but that's for the archaeologists, I won't go into that. Um, and then in the late medieval period in Ireland up to now, we have no definite evidence for the use of water power in iron working. Um, the bloomery uh, furnaces that we do know of were used up until at least the 16th century. We have several examples known from archaeology. Interestingly, uh, it is still the smaller type, so we don't see that uh, getting larger of the bloomery furnaces in Ireland. They are also always found outside of the settlements, i.e. where the ore is found. In Ireland, this is uh, in most cases next to bogs because the ore that is used is bog ore. Uh, the smithing installations. Well, um, so the continuation of the ground level smithing and then the appearance of waste level smithing in urban contexts uh, from the 15th century onwards. 
Just very shortly, the introduction of water-powered installations in Ireland then, the earliest blast furnace uh, known in Ireland, uh, possibly 1560s, and then uh, becomes uh, pretty common from the 17th century onwards, and that is then the Earl of Cork's uh, installations and Coote and other people. Um, open, uh, very interestingly, and not really talked about, is that there is actually evidence as well for the open heart water power bloomeries in Ireland as well in the, in the 1630s. But Bolt specifically says that these are brought in uh, by the planters in, uh, in Ulster. Over to the sources, I will start with uh, a few earlier ones just to kind of give a bit of context. Uh, there were a number of weights, um, late 15th century, um, basically merchants, manual. Um, interesting is that iron is listed as the, among the export products of Ireland. Okay? In the same paragraph, a little bit further on, he also says that it's a good idea if you want to make money to bring in Spanish iron to Ireland. So one does not have to exclude the other. Um, then 1545, uh, Anthony St. Ledger. The mines uh, that are here of different metals uh, could be made uh, uh, profitable if they be quietly laboured for. And I think that's, this is pretty um, important because it shows the secrecy that is often involved in, this, in the metallurgy in this period. Alessandro Fidel, um, an Italian merchant working out of Waterford, 1571, um, says um, the mines of gold, silver, lead and iron of recent discovery they are owned by Irish gentlemen who do not uh, obey Queen Elizabeth. Uh, so again, um, a pretty important source, just kind of giving an idea of what the situation was before uh, the period under study. Now, um, an important source, I believe John Denton, uh, his report. John Denton um, was an agent for the company of, Royal, uh, of Mines Royal, founded uh, just a few years earlier. This company was founded and the main object was to start up a huge copper mining operation in Cumbria with German war workforce. The problem was in Cumbria that trees were scarce and expensive and John Denton is sent over to Ulster to source wood to make charcoal for the furnaces. When he goes over, after a very short time, war breaks out with the O'Neills and he, his, he gets redirected to uh, Munster, um, probably by Henry Sidney, who is becoming um, president of Munster then, and um, the, his, the, his task is also to check out the natural resources, i.e. Uh, mines as well. So he's in the south of Ireland, and this is his report. Uh, this is Sir Warren uh, St. Ledger, and he's there talking about bringing in cattle, but especially what they were doing uh, with the timber resources. With the leftover of the timber, they will make charcoal, and then it's especially the passage in red that I will um, concentrate on. And so he says there's plenty of iron ore um, to have bold men for coaling, for making charcoal, and Spaniards that could skill of the making of iron, and Irish men that could both coal and make iron. For that boat in the west of Munster and north of Ulster, there's a lot of iron, stone and ore, and if some Dutchmen that could make iron pots and such Englishmen as cast iron, could cast iron gun. So the second part, obviously, is um, Denton suggesting that Dutch people will come over, build blast furnace and cast uh, iron pots, and English that would cast cannon, i.e. ordnance. But the passage before could be interpreted as Denton also suggesting bringing in French, Spanish and Irish to do iron, 
what I believe that this part has to be read differently. What I believe um, is that what he's doing is actually describing the situation as is at that point, at that time. So there would be French people making charcoal, there is Spanish that are making iron, and then, as we know, there is Irish that can both make charcoal and make iron. Um, this is um, important because at that time in Spain, the situation is that they had those small bloomeries like they had in Ireland, they had, as far as I know, one blast furnace specifically built to make cannon, um, neither of which I believe would make a lot of sense in being carried out in Ireland, um, or would have been permitted to be carried out in Ireland. But what happens in the same period in Spain is the appearance, um, about 10 or 20 years before that, of the open heart um, water power bloomery. And I believe that there's a strong possibility that that is the technology that's being used at that point. Uh, second source, the Desmond survey of West Limerick, 1586. Um, in the list of uh, all the lands uh, that are being uh, divided, there are 47 iron mines of ironstone mentioned, 35 of which I could locate, and I've put them on this map. Um, the question here is, um, so the bogor was used, we know that at that time. The question is, would the surveyors have recorded bogs as iron mines? Uh, also, and this is the blue square here, in the 19th century there was a mine on high-grade hematite ore carried out here. Uh, we also know, so in this area, we know that there is different types of iron ore. And if you look at the map, we also see that most of the, 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 the places where the mines are recorded are on, are on higher ground, not really the places where you would expect the bog iron ore. The bog iron ore would be more expected in the flat area. So, on the one hand, more than likely um, iron mining going on, um, and especially uh, the fact that they were all recorded at the same time, which means that they were probably all operating shortly before the survey was carried out. Um, and uh, uh, a third source, Robert Payne, uh, steward for uh, Fane Beecher uh, for the seigneury in Kinomiki. Uh, less than a year after he arrives in Ireland, he publishes this pamphlet. His brief description is often quoted, but um, the way that he says it, so again, it's very rich in the wells of iron, and they also have oak iron, which we don't have in England, of which a smith there will make at, at his forge iron presently. If, just imagine how the situation looks like. This is as far as we know the, in, the, in the 16th century in Ireland. So small furnaces outside of the settlements, and then big smithing hearts where there is no smelting going on. So it's hard to imagine what he is actually talking about. It's very difficult to imagine that he is talking about this in the woods, in the bogs, as being the smith that is making iron at his forge. And I think, again, not very sure, but I think it's possible that he, again, is referring to this kind of open heart bloomery furnace. And then, um, <coughs> excuse me, Sir, Wally's, uh, uh, Sir, Wally, Sir Walter Raleigh's estate uh, at Mohili. Um, uh, Sir Walter gets uh, grants of the lands in 1586. And then when Elise is uh, written out to Dennis Fisher, the names of the townlands are described. And one of those uh, townlands is called Forgepool. Forgepool, anytime I have come across that, uh, means the water reservoir connected excuse me, to iron working. Um, 
originally I thought, okay, maybe there's a possibility that in that short period from here, that it is a possibility that this, this is not native iron working, but that somebody built some kind of iron working installation there. But I, since then, I do think that those place names would actually go back to the survey itself. I don't think it's likely that the names of the places would have changed name since the survey was carried out. If this is correct, if this does uh, mean the pool of a forge, which seems likely, I believe that it um, relates to um, pre-Desmond war, or at least pre-survey um, recording. Um, a last... Um, Oh yeah, sources. Um, I'll have to uh, give a bit of background to this. Uh, so a lot of the early glass furnaces, and uh, that was a, a large proportion of the ones in England and also the ones in Ireland, used what was called cinders. Cinders are the waste product of the older, the small shaft furnaces. Um, so in the Forest of Dean, for example, all the glass furnaces would have used huge, huge quantities of uh, Roman and medieval waste product, basically as part of the overcharge. Um, and manuscript documents that I uh, went through about uh, an ironwork started in uh, the, the county, the East County Clare, South Galway border in the 1690s. Um, talk about so the, the Emerton, John Emerton, who was doing the ironworks, had two furnaces one in Woodford and one in Tomgraney. And together he talks about um, collecting 1,000 tons of cinders, which is bloomery slag. And there is numerous references that these um, cinders are dug by the country people. Okay, so that's for one year. He was there for five years. There's references to cinders being excavated ten years before that, and also in the early 18th century, there are still local people digging cinders. So what we are looking at is a huge amount of that um, waste product being there. Interestingly, as well, but that's a bit of a long explanation. This is not the typical Irish furnace that we know from um, archaeology. This is uh, a different kind of process. Um, a nice confirmation as well, I, I believe, um, is in uh, Barnard's study of Petty's Ironworks, uh, where when checking the accounts, he noticed that the ore and the cinders were actually very cheap, and uh, he suggested that low-grade local iron ore was used. This obviously does not apply to the cinders, and uh, the cinders are from an unknown but adjacent source, so they are not imported from England. So somewhere around Kerry, you might have a similar situation as in Clare and Galway. Uh, some references to non-ferrous metalworking at that period. David Wolfe, Jesuit priests uh, from Limerick. Uh, there are mines of um, metal and silver in Thomond, and. Um, Excuse me, and uh, Conor O'Brien, Earl of Thomond, got, got much thereof, but the English do not suffer him to get more. Okay, so the native Irish are engaged in metalworking, and then the English are trying to uh, stop that. 1581-1582, um, our Tully County Kerry, uh, a very important mine at that time and also later, um, a record of uh, an English mining engineer spending two years working in uh, that mine. Uh, then even up to 1602, Tago Derrick uh, has a silver mine near Galway, has refined the ore and is possibly selling it in Galway. So um, obviously um, uh, proof of um, metalworking going on, so known ferrous metalworking going on by uh, the native Irish. So what have we seen now? So mining. So bog ores, we know from historical sources and um, um, uh, archaeological sources that that was used, but I um, 
thing that I've shown, um, strong indications that also water ores were used and that these were not just collected but also mined. So we still have the, the local production was definitely going on, small bloomery furnaces, small amounts, high quality, uh, probably um, proof of subsistence ironworking and maybe a small surplus. But, uh, but what we've seen is also something that could be seen as more industrial production. Foreign ironworkers, the Spanish, uh, builders, uh, water power, forge pool, um, open heart breweries, the Spanish workers, and maybe Payne, and then industrial zones. County Clare, although that material is not dated, but should date to the late medieval period, and then Limerick, the, uh, the mining area. And then the final conclusions. Uh, what are we looking at actually? Is this a new phenomenon or the end of a longer tradition? So, um, <coughs> excuse me. So, Alessandro Fidel would like us to believe that they were uh, all new mines, but then um, the mentioning of iron as uh, occurring in Ireland actually goes back further than that again. Um, then, who was uh, responsible for this? It is possible that some technological changes would have um, happened on a local scale. But uh, it is probable that the lords themselves or the higher levels of society would have uh, well, first given permission, uh, brought over the people, uh, had the necessary means to uh, build the installations, etc. And then the very important question, obviously, what are they making? Uh, are they producing for the market in the widest sense of the world? Uh, world, world? Um, so are they uh, making a surplus to redistribute over their whole, whole area? Are they trading with neighboring areas? And another intriguing possibility is also that they are producing um, arms. So I just want to leave you with this quote, and if anybody would like to contact me or have comments on my talk, please contact me on my email. So prondeless, p for my, my, my surname, at yahoo.com. And I would be very happy to answer any questions. Actually.